yesterday we dealt with the first generation anti-psychotic or we call them the conventional anti-psychotic medication. We talk about what, why are they called second or first generation or why are they called conventional. We talk about what are the conditions they treat. We talk about um, what are their side effects, their adverse or complications. What are those medications that we do not combine with them? And when we are having complications of them, what can we do to manage those complications were some of the important things we talked about yesterday. And it is important that when we do such discussion, you go back and listen to the audio for the second time because there are things that were said, it might pass by your ear or your ears might pass by it. So going back for the second time, listening to the audio on your free time, it could be driving to work, it could be at your home, it could be bedtime listening to the audio, it pays. It helps to just improve what you've done. If you go to the book and read on them, do the assignments, read on topics, do questions on that particular topic, it helps you improve your endless struggle. So today we'll look at second and third generation anti-psychotic. So the second and third generation, they are commonly or generally referred to as the atypical. So second and third generation third gen second and third gen they are referred to as the a typical anti-psychotic medication now we said yesterday when a client has too much problem with the first generation we turn to the third or second generation which is the atypical anti-psychotic medication this Second and third generation or these atypical agents, they are often chosen as the first line of treatment for individuals who have schizophrenia. So they are a first line of treatment for individuals who have schizophrenia. Um, first and second generation have the same efficacy. So when they do with first generation and second generation, they have the same power to treat these conditions. So the first and second have the same, but in most of the cases we use second and third generation, which include which are called the atypical antipsychotic drugs to treat schizophrenia. And schizophrenia are more chronic mental illness compared to other mental illnesses. Now, um, and they are also more expensive compared to the first generation because they have a fewer side effect or fewer complications. That's why they are expensive. So these drugs are, you have the olanzapine, olanzapine, that's one. You have drugs like a kiroshapine, Or you have what we call the Seroquel. You have the Ziprasidon. Ziprasidon. You also have drugs like uh, the Clozapine. Clozapine. These are all atypical antipsychotic medication. You have the Aripaprozole. The Aripaprozole. Uh, 
this is called abilify also or it's called the abilify and uh you have um the paliparadine paliparadine the paliparadine these are all second or atypical anti-psychotic medication now i will um i will do a picture of the book i'm using for all these agents their complication what you look for it is in the tablet form so it is not in the sanders so i will take picture of them and post it in our group chat so we can look at it and then we can read it and we can study it to know because it is important to know these are common drugs in mental illness um they are very common they are the most commonly used medications you're going to talk about when you're talking about treating uh treating uh, schizophrenia and other conditions relating to mental condition so these are the drugs you want to look at so i will post them into the group chat and we'll go ahead and look at them and see how we can look at them and study them these drugs kill or they handle or they manage um schizophrenia schizophrenia does not have a cure we do not like treat it it goes away forever no we treat it and create no uh we create stability so that the patient can go back to their fully functional uh, uh activities but it runs in the gene in the gene it has it, ha it is kind of like genetics just as compared to other uh mental condition now these medications um these second generation medication they work mainly by blocking serotonin and a lesser degree uh, and to a lesser degree dopamine receptors so these drugs when playing high schizophrenia they will begin to exhibit all of those um abnormal conditions those negative positive symptoms of, of mental illness so that simply means our serotonin the neurochemical serotonin is being depleted and once there is an abnormal level of serotonin our body will begin to show those uh, abnormal behaviors. That's the reason why we do not correct these mistakes made by individuals who have mental illness by common logic. It is only medications that treat those neurochemical problems that the client will have that will lead to mental illness. So when serotonin levels are imbalanced, they will show positive and negative symptoms of mental illness. They will have delusions, they will have hallucinations, they will have blunted affect, flat affect, they will have all those problems. So when we give them, when we administer atypical anti-psychotic medication, which are the second and third generation, this medication correct the level of the serotonin in the brain. How do they achieve that? By blocking the receptor site for the usage of serotonin in the brain. So the body can have more levels of serotonin, which will prevent imbalance of mental illness. Now, so um, it is used for other conditions induced by levodopa therapy. It also treats bipolar conditions. It treats impulse or control disorders and, other, and so many different conditions. Now, <clears throat> the advantage of this medication, it, they, this atypical have more advantages and it is uh one of the area of my concerns um the reason is that uh, the cost uh it has lesser side effect one this medication treat both negative and positive symptoms of 
the of, of mental illness. It treats both negative and positive symptoms of mental illness. Now, then this medication, the decrease, there's a decrease in effective symptoms. And also behavior of suicide. Remember, we said in the other medication with the first group of medication we're talking about, that, that is the first generation, like the hard door and other medication, the CPZ, Toraxin, and other medication in the first generation. We said those medications, the client can have increased suicidal ideation. The client will have increased suicidal thoughts. But with the second generation medication or the atypical antipsychotic, the client had lower or decreased effect of suicide or the client had decreased suicidal ideation. So the client will have decreased suicidal ideation with, this with these drugs. The client will have improved neurocognitive deficits such as poor memory loss. So this, the client will have improved. The client will have improved neurocognitive def uh, deficit, a neurocognitive problem. So they will have improved neurocognition. Um, this medication also it has fewer side effects. That is, this drugs has fewer EPS syndrome. We move to what the EPS, to what ataxia, tardive dyskinesia, dystonia. Those are all EPS conditions under the first generation medication. So when you are on the second generation. It lowers the effect of the EPS complication that they're going to have when they're on the first generation. So, um, this medication, uh, they also prevent like tardive dyskinesia. They also, uh, like, we'll talk about the lip smacking. We'll talk about another TD. is also reduced when the client is on the second generation medication. Um, this medication, they have fewer anti-cholinergic effects. They have fewer anti-cholinergic side effects. Anti-cholinergic side effects. We're talking about the cholinergic effect of the medication. Now, so they have fewer ones. Um, we talk about also this medication. If the client on this medication, it has less relapse compared to the first generation. So if the client is on the second generation, the client might not have relapse. So relapse is where you had a mental illness you was you got treated and the symptoms went away after a few times then you had this the symptom coming back even if you are on the medication sometimes when you post the drugs you're gonna have a relapse relapse is the condition coming back a second time or third time or more times now with the with this intermediate antipsychotic medication we have lesser relapses coming in when you're on the medication so um it has so many good effects uh that we won't look at now, despite it tells you that it has lesser uh, complications like the fewer EPS, the client can still have EPS problems, which include tardive dyskinesia, akatasia, um, and also uh, dystonia. So the client can still have this complication, but it is just at a lower or a lesser rate. That's what happened under here. The client, the client can also have diabetes mellitus with this second-generation second medication. Um, the client can have, at the beginning of the treatment with this medication, the second-generation medication, the client can lose control of blood sugar, and the client can have diabetic complications. So in this case, um, the, the nurse or the, the, you have to keep track of the sugar level 
of the client sugar control, the client has diabetes, and the client is about to get on uh, the second generation medications. Um, in this case, also, we want to provide the treatment if the client has it, tell the client to report any symptoms of diabetes, which include polyphagia, polyuria, and polytepsia. They should report any of those symptoms. The client can have weight gain. Now, one of the things about this medication, the client will have weight gain. Most of the client on SAC medication, they're going to have weight gain. Because um, remember, let's remember that weight gain, our appetite, our appetite is improved when we have improved level of serotonin. Now, and children will, will create the mean that we eat more and we'll have hormones that will create increased body weight in our, in our body when we are on this drug. Because these drugs preserve serotonin. Serotonin provides for us, uh, it provides, it provides for us appetite. So when you're on this medication, you will have increase in appetite on this medication. That's what happened in this case. So the client will have all those, all those, uh, all those, uh, if I will talk about, we'll, we'll, we'll talk about the, the first generation, the client will have all those same complications. Okay, but at this stage, it's kind of like at a reduced level. Um, <clears throat> We do not combine in most cases Respiridol. Respiridol is also not this this uh this second generation medication. Respiridol. Um for respirator, um we do not we when you are on this medication, you do not give these drugs to individuals who are pregnant. Respiridol is on a pregnancy category C. So we do not give it in pregnancy, in pregnancy category C and uh Another drug is the the loracidone, loracidone, the the loracidone, and also the uh, closet pains. And closet pains, they are on our pregnancy category B, so we do not give it to them. So these two drugs or these three medications, res uh, respirator, uh, or respirator, loracidone, and closet pains, they are on our category. B and category C of pregnancy. Just so you so the first two are on a category C, that is respirator and loracidol, and the closet pain is on a category B. So um if the client has cardiovascular disease or any cerebral vascular problems, seizure, diabetes mellitus, we have to be cautious how we administer this medication. Very very cautious how we administer it when the client is when the client is on this or uh, when the client has those conditions. Any question on uh, the second generation antipsychotic medication? Now, then we look at um, on here also. On here also, we have to try and 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 and, and get it. Hold on one second for me. Substance use disorders. Drugs that treat uh, drugs that treat substance use disorders. Substance um use disorders. Now for these medications, um they are very effective in controlling substance dependency and other conditions that come with substance use. We have different kinds of them. We have like a different substances which include alcohol. Alcohol is something that can be abused and can cause addiction. It has tolerance, it has dependence and other things. 
We have caffeine. Caffeine can also do that. I've seen people who do not label out coffee in the morning um, because these things are very much can cause uh, uh, they can cause addiction. We have uh, like the cannabis. So I want you to look out to look up these things. Look up um, one. We have alcohol. Two. We have caffeine. Three, we have the cannabis. Four, we have the hallucinogen. Five, we also have the inhalants. The inhalants. Six, we have the opioids. We also have the stimulant. Stimulant. We have tobacco. These are all uh, substances. And uh, we have um, some other unknown ones, the ones that are not classified, like the anabolic steroids, the beta nuts, the unidentified black market substances that we don't even know the name, like those things the, 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 the book can abuse along, along the way. So we have those things uh, that also are on label. So we have them around. So I, I just want you to like look at them and understand how do they, how can we, how can they cause abuse? How can they cause uh, other uh, effect on the body? So I'm gonna start with a uh, medication that support withdrawal or abstinence from alcohol. So our challenge becomes if a client showing withdrawal symptoms of any of these substances, what can we do? What do we? happen here in the hospital what can we do what could be the management we can use to curtail the withdrawal symptoms that becomes my concern so let's start with alcohol now um when a client is abusing alcohol in alcohol abuse there is effects of withdrawal that can start anywhere from around four to seven two hours so alcohol withdrawal i want to remember this date or uh, this 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 the time factor so we say alcohol withdrawal. For alcohol withdrawal, um, this starts between four hours to 72 hours. That's the beginning. So if you stop taking alcohol, alcohol, alcohol withdrawal symptoms will, start to, will come up between four to 72 hours after you stopping the substance alcohol. Now, that's the first portion. Now, the second thing is, um, it also depends on the amount of alcohol consumed, the frequency of alcohol the client will be consuming or would have consumed, it depends on that. Now, then, the withdrawal can continue up to five to seven days. So it starts between four to seven hours, it continues up to five to seven days, and it will show those withdrawal symptoms. What are the withdrawal symptoms becomes my concern. The NCLA wants us to know those withdrawal symptoms the client will show. You remember when I was talking about the CY two days ago, I, I told you about the questions you can ask a client who is on withdrawal, who who, who, who showing withdrawal symptoms. So um, the, the client was, will have nausea. Nausea is one they're going to have. They're going to have vomiting. Um, the client is also going to have tremors. Tremors, 
The client will have um, decreased mood. The client will have irritability. The client will have diaphoresis. The client will have confusion. The client will have illusions. Illusions, the client will have these symptoms of withdrawal. And that's the reason why I said, if you if you were a nurse and you want to do an assessment on individuals who have withdrawal symptoms, you want to ask them for their orientation. You want to ask them, uh, excuse me, ma'am, uh, where we are? What's your name? Who am I to you? Where are you? Are you at home? Are you in the hospital? You want to ask them to know what they are, what they are alert, what they are, what they are oriented times five. Mom, are you having any stomach pain, like nausea? You want to throw out? You want to find out why the person has nausea or vomiting? Are you uh, having any abdominal pains? Are you having confusion? Or you ask at them, can you hear voices? Are you seeing shadows in your eyes? Are they tall? Are they short? What are they saying? Are you hearing voices? Can you stretch your hands up and sit in the bed or, or stand up and close your eyes? You want to see what the person having tremors in there, uh, tremors. Now, these are, these, are, these are domains you want to search to know what the client is having withdrawal symptoms. These are things you can do for the client. So, alcohol withdrawal delirium can occur about two to three days after stopping of alcohol cessation. So, alcohol withdrawal delirium start two to three days after after the cessation of alcohol consumption. After you cease taking alcohol, the withdrawal of alcohol will show up. Uh, the, the alcohol withdrawal delirium. That is the forgetfulness will start two to three days after you stop taking the alcohol. So that's one thing I want to remember. So when a client has withdrawal, what is the first line of treatment for alcohol withdrawal? So the first line of treatment for alcohol withdrawal is the benzodiazepines we talked about two days ago. So we want to use, you remember we said for benzodiazepines, we said they treat alcohol withdrawal, right? We said that. Benzodiazepines. So benzodiazepines, um, they are um, they are the first line of treatment for alcohol withdrawal. The first line of treatment for alcohol withdrawal problem. Benzodiazepines. Now, these diazepines, there are so many. We talked about them the other day. We talked about, talk about the lorazepam or the adivan. We talked about the diazepine. We talked about the, 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 the clonazepine. We talked about the, uh, the oxazepines. Or for honor, benzos medications. These medications, they, when you are getting, when you are administering this medication, you want to maintain the client to know the client virus sign. The client will have de the client sh there should be decrease in the risk of seizure. You want to administer around the clock as PR ends. You want to obtain the client virus sign and maintain client seizure precaution because these drugs can cause seizure when they are on the and we do not combine these drugs with other CNS depressants. Now, then we also have the adjuvant medication to treat with benzodiazepines. Remote talking about those adjuvant medications yesterday. We're talking about them now. This medication can be combined to treat, uh, they, they can be combined to treat, um, uh, 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 alcohol draw. What were some of the adjuvant we're talking about? We're talking about carbazepine. We said most of the C, most, most of the, 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 the antidepressant. We said they are, uh, most of them they are, uh, adjuvant, they are adjuvant medication. Now we said this antidepressant like the carbamazepines. We're talking about like uh, the amitriptyline. 
we're talking about, we're talking about those under the person. We said some some of them are adjuvant that can be used to treat alcohol withdrawal problems, and here we are at them. So examples include the carbamazepines, the clonidines, and also we can use beta blockers like uh, the actinol law or the or the propylene law in this case to create a low heart rate because in withdrawal syndrome, the client will have increased heart rate, so we can use the one to help the client to decrease the heart rate. Then. We talk about also another drugs we use is the um, disulfiram. So another drugs can be used is the disulfiram for withdrawal. Now the disulfiram can be used to treat this 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 uh, this effect. Now, if the client is abstaining from alcohol, then we can use the diazepam in this case. It is a daily oral medication that is typical of aversion therapy or behavioral therapy. This medication can be used with alcohol causes acetaldehyde or uh, acid acetaldehyde syndrome. Now, um, when the client is having certain reaction to the withdrawal of alcohol. The client can use this medication to what to curtail those withdrawal problems. Those symptoms will include the client will have nausea, the client will have vomiting, the client will have increased heart rate, the client will have like uh, the client will have chest pain, they will have sweating, they will have flush on the body, they will, they will have all those symptoms in the end. They can have also they can have palpitation, they can have a uh, 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 hypotension. So we use this medication to stop all of those symptoms the clients come with the diastrophic. Now, so um, because the acetaldehyde reacts the client will have. When the client is withdrawal, the client will have what we call the acetaldehyde uh, symptom of, of, of withdrawal. Now, they will have this condition. Now, in this acetaldehyde problem they're going to have when they are withdrawing from alcohol, when they, when, 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 when they are not on the alcohol, which is called the acetaldehyde syndrome, they will show those 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 I get about. They will show the respiratory problem. Now, if it is not treated, the client will progress into a huge respiratory arrest, which can also kill the client. So that's the reason why they are taking this particular diazepam medication. So diazepam medication is used to treat acetaldehyde syndrome when there's an alcohol withdrawal in a patient. If it is not used. The client can lose their life. So at the beginning of alcohol withdrawal, the client will show the alcohol withdrawal symptoms between four to one, 72 hours. It lasts between five to seven days. Now, it is just the common symptoms they will have. They will have nausea, vomiting, tremors, abdominal pains. They will have illusions. Now, if those symptoms are not treated, the client goes into a bigger problem or a bigger or complication, which is called the acetaldehyde syndrome. It is in the acetaldehyde syndrome, the client is going to have the huge respiratory arrest. And in that respiratory arrest, that's when the client might die in that if it is not treated. So at that stage, then the doctor will prescribe for the client the diazofaran, the diazofaran, which will come into arrest this particular acetaldehyde syndrome. That's what I'm talking about in short. Then uh, uh, this medication also, um, it has some nursing intervention inform the client of the dangers 
and potential fatal reaction of drinking alcohol. Advise the client to avoid products that contain alcohol while on this medication. They are syrup, syrup that contain alcohol. The client has to avoid the cough syrup has some kind of alcohol in the some of the cough syrup. They have to avoid cough syrup while they are on this medication. The anchor will ask you many a time if you have the UR, you have seen this this, this just in the UR. A client who is on diastereum, the client cannot take cough syrup. The client cannot cannot consume any product that contains alcohol. The client should stay away from sources, mouth wash. Listerine mouth wash and other mouth gargle, they, it contains alcohol. So the client got to stay away from those uh, uh, household materials. The client got to stay away from aftershave lotion. When you shave and you use the aftershave to stop the, the, the bombs come from coming on your, on your chin, the client got to stay away from it because they contain some level of alcohol in them, which is not good for the client when the client is taking this particular medication. The client should stay away from cologne. The client must stay away from hand sanitizer. Those things contain alcohol. The client has to stay away from them because once you are on this diastereum medication, it is mean that you stay away from alcohol and alcohol products. The client, we should monitor the client for a hepatic condition, liver, uh, uh, liver to to toxicity. Tell the client to wear a medical alert bracelet. The client should be encouraged to participate in the 12-step self-help program. They have a 12-step help program for alcohol. You want to look, look it up. The 12-step help program of alcohol draw. The client got to participate in it to be free. Now, look, look it up. Now, the client has to also, we have to advise the client on the potential fertility that is linked with this acetaldehyde syndrome in alcohol problem. The client needs to be advised about it. The client needs to know the side effect of these things. It is important that the client should know them. Um, lastly, we want to advise the client to adhere, to stick to the treatment methodology or the treatment modality. It is important the client stick to this treatment form to help the client from this condition. Um, we also have another drugs we call the natrizone. Now, natrizone, now these drugs, you have to go and look at their, their trade names. And look at the other name because they have popular name that you know. But I want you to look at to, to, to look to, to look the uh, to know the popular name. Now they want to talk about a bit of like a like like a proper You wouldn't hear in that name in the hospital. You hear the name like a bit of So like for Narcan, you will see Narcan all around. You will hear that, but the real name is Naloxon. So you will see this drug. And you all go and look up their other names so that you know them very well. So we have um. Another one we call the nitrazone. Now, this medication, this nitrazone, the client must abstain from alcohol before starting this drug. The client has to abstain, or the client must, M-U-S-T, the client must abstain from alcohol before starting this nitrazone. Um, it has a serious adverse effect, which include nausea, sedation, headache, and anxiety. So if the client does not stop the medication, stop alcohol for getting the drugs, the client can have serious problem. Now, 
This drug is a pure opioid antagonist and it suppresses the craving in the effect of alcohol. So when you're used to taking alcohol, when you're on alcohol withdrawal, your cells crave for alcohol. So this drug, this natrazone, helps us to or uh, it helps us to prevent or it eases the craving for the alcohol when you're on alcohol withdrawal. That's the function of the medication. So it helps you to make your body be neutralized and, and, and prevent you from, from craving for alcohol. That's why it does basically. Now, this medication, this nitrosone, um, it is also um used also, also used for act for 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 high quality for opioid withdrawal, narcan. So if you turn around you you will see it to be narcan and other medication. Now, it also for opioid overdose or opioid withdrawal, you see that. Now, you also want to, uh, for nursing intervention, you want to always assist in obtaining an accurate history to determine whether the client are also dependent on opioid or not. You want to also um, advise the client to take the medication with, with meal to decrease the GI distress. Um, you want to suggest the client to, to do monthly iron injection of the depot of the medication for the clients it will be hard to stick to the medication to take the, the drug on time so the, so they can have a monthly iron injection with the medication with the medication then we have another one we call the acam process the acam process is also another drug that functions in the same uh, vicinity the acam process it decreases the unpleasant effect of withdrawal when you use to take in certain substance and you do not take that substance any longer it creates it brings in an uncomfortable feelings so the acam process will prevent that uncomfortable feeling or that discomfort that comes with withdrawal the medication now i want you to understand that every drugs i talk about on alcohol withdrawal it has different role to play with alcohol withdrawal syndrome and that's is a uh, 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 And that's where I want you to remember these things well for the ankles. Every drug I named to you here, from the benzodiazepine pains to the nanos, uh, to the uh, 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 to the acamprosid and other medication, they have different roles when it comes to um, alcohol withdrawal problems. So this medication, when you abstain from alcohol, you can have this. Uh, you can have um, dysphoria, you can have anxiety, you can have restlessness. So this drug can curtail those problems. It has, when the client on the drugs, got to maintain an adequate fluid intake, receive adequate rest, take the drugs three times per day with meals. You want to avoid these drugs in pregnancy. Any question on alcohol? Then we look at our next substance, which becomes opioid. So after alcohol, you said? Question. Yeah, go ahead. So it does it kill the patient from being like alcohol free? It just sees the symptoms down? So our goal is, now it, it, uh, now you, 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 you do not get killed 
Like alcohol is not like a signal that is in your body, right? It's not a sickness. Now, because you've gotten used to taking alcohol every day, because you've got used to alcohol intake every day, the cells have gotten used to it. So our goal is to stop drinking alcohol. Now, the reason why people cannot stop drinking alcohol is because when they stop, they have certain feelings that come in them. So we can stop the alcohol and we can prevent those discomfort, the craving, then you can stop alcohol. So why the alcohol? Why you stop taking the alcohol? You have a therapist. You talking to that's why. You, that's why. You, that's why you go to the twelve step help program. Now in the twelve step help program, we have stages. Now as they are talking to you, telling you the good and bad side of what you are doing, your cells will still be craving. The cell does not understand the therapist. So what can help you to be on the right path until you end the twelve step program that will make you to stop drinking alcohol? We have to provide those mediums or those medications that will prevent you from craving for the alcohol. So those drugs are the acamprosis, the benzodiazepines, the nalotrine, and other drugs that we're talking about. So they're going to help you to prevent the, the, the discomfort in stopping alcohol. That's, that's why they are for. Okay. Now, then we look at the opioids. Um, the opioids... Uh, another substance uh, or substance that we also abuse. So in opioids, when you abuse opioids and you want to abstain from opioids, you're going to be faced with opioid withdrawal syndromes or opioid withdrawal. Now, the withdrawal syndromes occur one to two, one hour to several days after you stop. So it occurs one hour to what? To several days. Now, I want you to remember this duration to several days um, after you stop the opioids now under here um for these withdrawal syndromes um the findings include the client will have agitation when you now you got to be careful to understand the withdrawal of alcohol from opioids i want to remember the symptoms that come with alcohol and the one that come with opioids and understand the ones that come in both opioids and alcohol. That's how you want to go and study these things. Now, for opioids, the client will have agitation. The client will have insomnia. The client will not sleep. The client will have flu-like symptoms, like rhinitis, headache. The client will have those things coming in opioids withdrawal. Now, which are not in alcohol withdrawal. Now, the client is going to have Renorrhea, I'm talking about rhinitis or rhinorrhea. The client will have yawning. Those are symptoms you're going to see in opioid that are not seen in alcohol. Now, the client will have sweating, which is also typical in alcohol withdrawal. The client will have pyloerection, pyloerection. The client will have pyloerection. Look up this wall. I don't know it, so look, at, look it up. The client will have pilot erection. Um, the client will have abdominal cramping. So abdominal cramping is also found in substance in, in, in alcohol withdrawal. Look it up. Uh, the client will have diarrhea in opioid withdrawal. The client will have um, the client will have uh, uh, other things. Now the symptoms of opioids are non-life threatening. So opioids withdrawal. 
the symptoms are not life-threatening, but, but the client can have suicidal ideation in opioids withdrawal. For opioid withdrawals, the client, now it is in opioid overdose, and the client can die. And that's why you have to always have narcans when the client is on opioid. And that's the reason why in other states, they have what we call a safe house. In Philadelphia, they have a safe house that the government pay for. That client who abuse opioids, they go to that place and inject the drugs in their veins. There was a huge debate that it was not good that we should use state money to help the people in their behavior. But guess what? They are all addicts. They cannot do with all those drugs. So, so the state decided to build a place for them that, that they have people who monitor them. So if you pass in the street and you got your drug to take, you go to the safe house in Philadelphia. It's around, uh, it's around, we're going towards North Philly Way. Um, it's, 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 it's around there. You go in there and you take, they give you a syringe. They give you a needle. They give you a cotton swab. You swap alcohol swab. You swap your vein. They give you a tuning key. And you 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 create a tuning. You 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 you, you tie your hand and you inject the opioid in your vein. The state is paying for that with our taxes. So it is because they want to prevent the death. So they have individuals who are nurses who monitor them when they're in their drugs mode. So when they if they overdose. We give them narcans to help them to revive them. So for opioid withdrawal, it can cause uh, for opioid overdose, it can cause death. But the withdrawal symptoms don't cause death. Endless point. Now, under here we have drugs that we use under here. One of those drugs is the methadone, which you all in here have heard about the drugs methadone. So methadone is a drugs we use to provide. Um, treatment for withdrawal of opioids. It is an oral medication. It is an oral opioid agonist. It is used for when you stop taking the opioids, you take it as a substitute, which is the methadone. You take it as a substitute medication. Now, it replaces the opioids physical dependence in the body. That's why it is for. Now, this methadone it prevents abstinence syndrome. So when you abstain from opioid, it prevents those symptoms I talked about just a few minutes ago from coming in your body. It also helps to transfer. Um, it helps to transfer to transfer you from the illegal opioids to methadone. Once the client is being transferred in this case, so we tap out the dose. So if the client has been relieved from those symptoms, then the next thing we we'll do is what? We lower the dose, we temper it until the client becomes safe, then we DC it. This drug is also used for withdrawal, for long-term maintenance, and for suppressive therapy. This medication, um, in suppressive therapy, when the client is high, when the client is on suppressive therapy to suppress the effect of, of, of the opioids, the client use it increasingly. As we, we, or, or with time, we increase it with time. That's that's how it, it, that's how it is used. It helps to 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 block the pleasure of the opioids when the client is abusing it. Now, 
um, in the, for, for, for this medication, you want to observe to make sure that the, that the, the client dose is correct. You want to inform the client that this drugs must be tip must be tapered slowly to produce its uh, 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 therapeutic effect and to, and, and to prevent adverse withdrawal symptoms. Um, this drugs is also administered from an approved treatment center. You don't just buy it, it's got to be approved for you buy this medication. Then we have the clonidine. So you're going to go ahead and do for me an assignment to read on the last two of the medication that fall under here. You read for me clonidine, you look for me clonidine. For alcohol jaw, read about clonidine and you read about buprenorphine. But pray no fame. Look up these two medications. Um, then we have the last the last one. Yeah, question? Yeah, I have a question. I, I don't understand. You said uh, you talk about Narcan and then you talk about metadone. Narcan is for what? Finally, I don't Narcan know. is for opioid overdose. So clients who abuse opioids, they die from overdose in many instances. So if they had an overdose, when you take the Narcan, it revives them from overdose. So but for the uh the megadon, it prevent uh, when you when you own withdrawal syndrome, you take uh, you take metadone. If you own overdose, they will give you nine cans. Okay, thank you. You're welcome. So then we have nicotine. So we have nicotine withdrawal. So nicotine is what is in the cigarette. Nicotine. Um, nicotinamide. So nicotine is the substance that is found in tobacco. Nicotine. So when we are to stop tobacco, we need to stop, uh, we need to take certain medications to help us. In nicotine abstinence, the client can have nicotine withdrawal problem. The client will have irritability. The client will have nervousness. The client will have restlessness. The client will have insomnia. And the client will have difficulties concentrating when you are on a nicotine withdrawal. So for this reason, um, we all have to take certain medication to prevent us from the withdrawal syndromes. Those drugs include one, we we'll take bupropion. We we'll take bupropion. Bupropion. Um, we we'll take bupropion. This medication decreases nicotine craving and help us and helps us to prevent the symptoms or the signs and symptoms of nicotine withdrawal that's the function of this bupropion it prevents the craving for the nicotine and it helps us to decrease the signs and symptoms of withdrawal of nicotine this medication when you are on this medication the client will usually have dry mouth and how do we treat dry mouth we said we chew sugarless gum um, the client will encourage the client to. Then you also the client will have some dehydration. 
the client should drink water and suck on ice chips. Um, advise the client to avoid caffeine and NSCNS stimulants to control insomnia and agitation. So the client needs to sleep in order to, if the client on this medication, the client cannot take uh, other drugs that will agitate them or that will, that will make them to, to, to have insomnia. Um, you want to avoid the use of clients, in the use of clients who have increased risk of seizure. When the client has increased seizure risk, the client cannot take, uh, the client can, should not be on propion. Advise that this can cause weight loss. This drug can cause weight loss. So you're gonna understand that for this medication. Um, because when you're on nicotine, when you stop smoking, when you stop taking uh, nicotine, uh, nicotine products, it, 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 it reduces your weight. So, and that's why when you're on this medication, you're gonna have weight loss. Then, if you stop nicotine product, sometimes we do nicotine replacement therapy. The body will still be craving for it. If this drug cannot help, then we do what we call the nicotine replacement therapy. Nicotine replacement therapy. Um, we do this for the client. Nicotine replacement therapy. Now, for this nicotine replacement therapy, these are the same nicotine products made through the pharmacy and they are given to us. We chew them. Uh, it could be in cigarettes or it could be in chewing tobacco. It is used to replace when the client has successfully stopped taking uh, uh, nicotine or stop smoking. Um, when you are on nicotine products, you want to avoid any use of nicotine product while you are pregnant or breastfeeding. You want to avoid the use of nicotine product while you are pregnant or you are breastfeeding. You want to avoid that. You also, um, there are different categories of nicotines. So for nicotines, we have the nicotine lozenge. We have, we have the nicotine lozenge. That's one. We have nicotine patch or patches. We have nicotine patches. We have nicotine gum. We also have the nicotine uh, spray, nasal spray. We have the nicotine nasal spray, nasal spray. We have the nicotine inhaler, nicotine inhaler. Inhaler. We also have uh, nicotine. I think that's all. So we have, I think six. One, two, three, four, five. So, so we have, um, we have um, five types, different, different types of nicotine products. So for the nicotine lozenge, um, it allows, it help, it help you to store the dissolve in the mouth. You put it in the mouth. You suck on it. It takes like twenty to thirty minutes to. To be done in the mouth. You don't chew it. You suck on it until until it is dissolved in the mouth. For the nicotine, for the nicotine gum, um, this the list uh the lotion for nicotine. You should limit the use to five in six hours period. So we take it at least six, not more than six times a day. So you will see when it's prescribed P R N. They will tell you the 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 the. the, the the time you can take about six times a day when you own it now and the client 
cannot take it at night because it causes insomnia. And then we have the nicotine gum. The nicotine gum, it is used um, not recommended for longer than six months. For the gums, you cannot chew it for more than six months, meaning you cannot be on it for more than six months. Um, you, get, you got to avoid eating or drinking 15 minutes to chewing the gum. You got to avoid nicotine. You got to also monitor for average effect of nicotine, which includes shortness of the throat and the jaw. And you're also going to have um, jaw discomfort, hiccups, and other things. When you own a gum, the gum can cause jaw discomfort. It can cause hiccups and other things. You ask the client how many cigarettes they smoke a day. And that's why at the mental hospital client who comes in who smoke, we ask them how many pack of cigarettes do you smoke a day. And that's based on that we can get like determine how many gum they will chew in a time. For the nicotine patch, we the clients should apply the patch to the area to be cl clean, dry, and there should be no hair where the patch is to be placed on the body. Tell the client to apply the patch to the upper part of the body or the upper arm. We apply the patch to the upper part of the body. Uh, we also advise the client to avoid using nicotine products while on the patch because they're going to have nicotine to to toxic effect or overdose. Um, you want to follow direction for the dosage. You want to advise the client that nicotine patches can be purchased without a prescription. So you can buy a prescription. You want to also tell the client that they should remove the patch prior to an MRI. So the patch cannot remain on us when you do an MRI. The nicotine patch... Uh, if it is itching, we should remove it. If there is a burning, we should remove it. Those are endless points for nicotine patches. Then we have, when there is a severe skin reaction, we remove the nicotine patch. We tell our doctors. For the nasal spray, it provides some pleasurable effect of smoking due to rapid rise of nicotine in the client blood level. For the nicotine nasal spray also, you advise the client to follow the direction of the doctor or what is on the nicotine pack, the patch pack. You monitor the client for advert effect. Nicotine advert effect include, very important for the anklers, the nasal patch, uh, the nasal spray advert effect include chronic sinus problem, allergies, and asthma. So these are things it can cause. Then for the nicotine inhaler, it, it simulates smoking by puffing of the of the of, of the inhaler, which delivers nicotine to the body through the puffing. It contains menthol. The inhaler contains menthol. The inhaler contains menthol. The inhaler contains menthol, which creates sensation in the back. Of the throat similar to smoking so when you inhale it the same feeling you, you, you're going to have in the throat when you smoke a cigarette the same feeling you're going to have when you when you take the inhale um the nicotine it is not recommended for clients who have this other affecting upper respiratory system if the client has upper uh, respiratory problems nicotine is contraindicated in them nicotine nasal spray um so we want to understand this and we want to do that there can be other average effect of nicotine inhaler use which include throat irritation, 
burning of the mouth, dyspepsia, and coughing. These are things we, we, we want to talk about. And we have the last one we call the Varanic Clean. Uh, ver so the Varanic Clean can also be used on here. Um, the Varanic Clean. The Varanic Clean, it is also a nicotinic receptor. Yeah. No, so so we have bosparo and we have bupropion. We have uh bosparo and we have bupropion. 